1: So my next interview is with Bob Joseph. He's an author. He's a trainer. He's, uh, he's a guy who wants to shift the conversation. And, and one of the things I love about Bob is he, he not only is changing the world one person at a time, he truly believes and embodies that in everything that he does. As I said, author, he's a trainer. He's the founder of indigenous corporate training incorporated. You can find them online, but more importantly, right now, what we dive into is a, this new book that he's written called 21 things you may not know about the indigenous Indian Act, helping Canadians make reconciliation with Indigenous peoples a reality. We get into uh, pretty much everything. This is one of those conversations that was over before it started. It was just we we we, we were I don't know uh, twenty three minutes in, and I went wow the time the time is just flying. I I uh, I hope you feel the same. We we talk about. Um, Significant dates. We talk about 20, 21 things. We get into a few of them very specifically, but we get into things like uh, assimilation uh, policy. We talk about uh, cultural uh, identity and about homogenized cultures. We we, we get into this idea of, of 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 Canada being a bit of a cultural fruitcake and why it's not a melting pot society. We talk about Aboriginal rights as being human rights, and I think most of us. Uh, would would agree, but I think that, that the reality is a lot of us, uh, and I'm assuming a lot of uh, our listeners, face-to-face listeners out there, don't really know And uh, uh, what they don't know, I guess. It sounds so cliche and, and kind of trite, but it's really true. And so Bob uh, talks about one of my favorite films as well, The Matrix, and about the blue versus the red pill. So you're going to want to dive in. Uh, wonderful sense of humor. We have a lot of fun together. I can't wait for part two, and you've got to get out and get this new book, 21 Things You May Not Know About the Indian Act. Again, Helping Canadians Make Reconciliation with Indigenous Peoples a Reality. Uh, Bob Joseph, he's coming right up. You can also check them out online, ictinc.ca. That's Indigenous Corporate Training. Uh, Don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my writing and speaking. And also face-to-face live.ca for lots of other interviews uh, on film and authors and philosophers and comedians, and we're all sort of talking about this thing called social change. Coming right up, Bob Joseph and 21 Things. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by a very special guest here today. I I have been eagerly uh, anticipating this interview with Bob Joseph. He's here today to talk about his new book, 21 Things You May Not Know About the Indian Act, helping Canadians make reconciliation with Indigenous peoples a reality, Bob. Thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh no, thank you. This is
1: great. So you you you're currently on the West Coast, and and also um, the founder of an organization that I'm hoping we're going to be able to talk about a little bit later on. The Indigenous Corporate Training. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an incorporation. It's a company. It's a I guess it's a group of consultants. But 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 uh, let let let's come back to that a little bit. But 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 but. Tell us about the book Twenty One Things. Why, well, I mean, may, I, I would imagine the first question for a lot of people that that that, that have uh, approached you in the past, uh, you know, from a uh, you know um, um, wanting to know more about the book is Bob. So why twenty one? Why not twenty two? Why not nineteen? I
0: like it. I like it. Great question. You know, uh, I you know, Indigenous corporate training. We do a lot of training with um, all levels of government and corporations and you know, everybody from nonprofits like the Ontario SBCA to the Fortune 100 and, and everything in between. And and so in those uh, workshops, I get a lot of time to talk about uh, issues related to the Indian Act and its impact on people and communities and cultures and countries. And, uh, um, it, you know, I, I started uh, blogging uh, a few years back. And so this was just one of the topics that we came up with. and and uh, to just put it in into a blogging perspective you know i'll read articles on how to blog and and one of the articles said people like lists so you should come up with a a number and and so i actually started to think about you know i've done thousands of workshops with just just tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people And, and i started to think about the ones that had impact and really resonated with uh with people they just were surprised when they heard them or you know, on some level, some of them were unbelievable to people when I first started doing this work. And so 21 things really comes out of out of that. And there could easily be 50 things or 39 things, you know. Um, there is so much to uh, the Indian Act that's been there for uh, the whole history of the country, basically. And and uh, so that's how we, we sort of landed on it. And we posted the, the blog article in, in the first month. It was crazy. 55,000 people. You know, just started. To share. I, I read, I read that. That's just it's utterly remarkable. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, this 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 has really hit a nerve. We should expand on the ideas, <clears throat> just to give people a chance to uh, learn a little bit more more about it. And it, it, you know, we were thinking this would be people that wouldn't normally take our training. But um, the other neat thing about uh, 21 things in the in the start of all of our uh, awareness workshops, particularly. We'll do an exercise with participants, and we'll ask them, and we can ask the listeners right now. Um, think of a date in history that's specific to Indigenous peoples in Canada, and come up with a really short sentence to describe it. And so I'll do this with mm. a with a group of people, and uh, I'll let them think about it for just a couple of minutes, so they can talk to people. They can't Google, you know, they can't, they can't right. look into books. Uh, but the really unique thing that really happens every time we do that is we find a lot of early dates, Louis Riel and Marie Rebellion and and uh, right. you know dates like that. And then we find a lot of recent dates, the 2010 Winter Olympics and the Calgary Stampede and the MM Games and and you know stuff that's been happening more recently. But what we found was there was always a gap in the middle, and it was uncanny. It happens across the country. We train everywhere from. From Halifax and Dartmouth all the way to B C and you know, up up into Whitehorse and the Yukon and all over the place and, and that timeline always ends up looking the same way. There's a there's a big gap. And so twenty one things really I think um, sort of helps to fill in that gap and give a, a quick rounded picture of a you know, probably a much bigger piece of legislation.
1: Would Bob, Bob would you say that it's about a, it's close to a hundred year gap isn't it you're, are you talking to about the eight, 1869 to 1951 is that yeah kind of what you're referring it to?
0: actually goes even more recent like we don't start to see real dates until yeah 69 you know people start to think about uh, dates and history into the 70s and then by the 80s you're starting to see more dates in the timeline and yeah, so there's a like I say, there's a whole big period of history. It's just not understood. And you know, from an right. intercultural communications perspective, whatever we're working across cultures, it doesn't just have to be indigenous peoples. When we're communicating with them, uh, they they bring those things with them: history, culture, I, language. And,
1: and do you know what's so fascinating about that? is that, I mean, and and help me out here, but I think I did, did you know, I've done a bit of my research and I'm pretty sure you actually address it in the book. And by the way, congratulations. What a a marvelous read. What a marvelous read. What a beautiful way to take, I'm just quickly running through the book here to see how many pages it is, but (laughs) to take take a whole lot of history Mm -hmm. and a whole lot of meaning Mm -hmm. and a whole lot of potential for misunderstanding and kind of pack it into about a hundred and, I don't know, 10 pages, something like that with some brilliant appendices. By the way, uh, and some you. really <laughs> practical exercises as well. But uh, anyway, yeah. So I wanted to—I forgot—I meant to say that right out of the gate. Congratulations, and also, I think what eight weeks on the bestseller list now.
0: Yeah, still rolling. It's uh, still up there. And nice. In DC, we made the top of another list. Yeah, you know that was that was a big part of it too. The Indian Act. If you? You know, most people have never even seen what it looks like. It's actually a pretty pretty big document, and you know, you know, there's people that, that write about it every year. But it uh you know, when you just look at it legislatively and try to read it, it just for me it just glazes my eyes over, right? I'm like, Oh, I can't I can't take this. So I thought, you know, as we're expanding on the ideas and twenty one things, we wanted to keep it nice and simple and just let people have a, a quick read and give those appendices so they could do a deeper dive if they felt they needed more information on a on a particular subject. So it was uh, that was a definitely just so, making it accessible, that's what we wanted to. Do. So
1: it's so great, and and as you said, twenty one things. It really does just roll off the tongue. It's quite lovely, and, and it sounds to me like the makings of a film as well. I mean, you've you've certainly got a good documentary in the in the film in the in the in the works here. Twenty one things. I can see it now. I know Michael um, Moore. I
0: got to reach out to Michael Moore. <laughs> that's, that's
1: right, exactly. But I was going to say that before I mentioned that that I uh, made that comment. I mean, isn't six it, it hundred bands? 11 Mm -hmm. languages Mm -hmm. and about 50 dialects across country. I mean, typically, I think as a Canadian, I don't think we think of this is intercultural. This Mm -hmm. is crossing cultures, and yet we're still, you know... We're still within our own context. You know, we're still within our own country. I mean, I work in inter- international development, as my, as a lot of my listeners will know, and and I cross into a Cambodian culture or a Malawian culture or or whatever the case might be. That's a little more explicit. We've we've kind of lost sight of some of that, haven't we? Well, the Indian Act is deliberately di- designed to get you to lose sight of it. It homogenizes mm. the
0: cultural diversity that's there. It's everywhere. Uh, but when we call them Indians, we just we just mitigate all of the culture and the you know regional differences and all of that stuff so it's uh you know it's in- interesting you know your international work if you if you are working with indigenous peoples in canada the same skills that you would use going to cambodia or those other places that you mentioned are the same skills that you would use right here and well I'm, you know i'm talking to you from nanaimo today or what the nanaimo first nations how they would pronounce it uh, their traditional territory but really you need an international trader hat on as you go from community to community, because they are so different and, you know, different right. languages, no ability to communicate, but totally different world views If you wanted to be a tourist, you know, you could travel around British Columbia. There's seven major language families broken up into over 30 d- dialects. It's really, really culturally diverse. And you could go see seven different cultures. It would be like going to seven different countries when you started to really, you know, boil it down and, And, uh, just from a cultural perspective, so.
1: And, and, and it and it really was about, I mean, you open the book with, and I, you know, to be honest with you, I kind of don't know where to start. It feels to me like there's just so much we need to talk about and so many questions to ask. But it's in chapter, I think it's in chapter one with the John John, John A. MacDonald quote, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, you know, to quote, wean them by slow degrees from their nomadic habits, which have almost become an instinct and by slow degrees absorb them or settle them on the land meantime. Yeah, it just, it's, it's. It's kind of it's kind, to say they've homogenized them almost to me seems like it's it's a massive understatement later on in the book I think you quote a uh, a first nations leader and and it, and and um they refer to the this colonial relic mm-hmm. and I just I, I just it, the, the understatement of some of that to me is 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 maybe lost on most Canadians it seems to me yeah, you know.
0: Did, uh, were you a Star Trek fan did you watch a lot of uh Star Trek
1: <laughs> uh you know what I have a, a confession to make A huge Star Wars fan oh yeah I yeah. did like the uh, I, I did like the original Star Trek <laughs> uh, but I didn't I didn't get into sort of the re all the reboots yeah so my, my apol my apologies. no
0: no, no 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 uh, you know it's just uh <laughs> it's uh yeah it, it would have been probably more of the more recent Star Trek Trek stuff, you know, they, where you meet the Borg and resistance is futile and you must assimilate. I, I, you know, I, I I, was sort of thinking maybe they were looking at the Indian Act when they were coming up with some of those scenarios you know, with the Borg. They want everybody to assimilate and everybody must be the same and and uh, yeah, so <clears throat> it was definitely a, a full-on uh, legislative full-court press on the part of the Canadian government to, to get people to give up identity and Culture and language, and all kinds of things. And, uh, you know, the, the big challenge is when you, when you tell people not to do something, they kind of want to do the opposite of that, right? right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if I think about it, I love. It. <laughs> Very, I love the part in the very, book. I love the part in the book where you talk about um, um, political subversion and and the group the this group of of uh, I guess I don't know a political group of some kind and mm-hmm. they were approached. They would start singing a, a hymn, an old Christian hymn, and and sort of you know imagine themselves or pretend to be a, a, a Bible study of some kind, and then and then really be you know just kind of politi- politically subverting the culture at the time. And I just I, I've, I've, I've it's, it's a wonderful. Uh, Uh, example of the degrees that you know we'll go to right as you say you tell somebody to do one thing they often do the other (laughs) but but the neat thing about
0: assimilation if we can say that is that whenever two cultures come together they immediately want to learn about each other right if you've got good food I want your good food and then when we're breaking bread we can talk about philosophy and ideology and all kinds of really neat things it's a very natural process but when we talk about in the Canadian sort of historical experience that was a very forced cultural experience and and so people just sort of dug in and the song they sang was on, Onward Christian Soldier.
1: That's right <laughs> that's kind yeah that's a beautiful kind of a, a metaphorical finger isn't it? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah so it was just you know interesting to uh, to 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 know the story and the history they'd go through it a couple of times and if they you know if the indian agent didn't leave they'd break out the good book and read from the scripture just sort of biding time and, and then once the agent left and they could they could pursue their activities i, I come from a uh, potlatching family here on the west coast um and uh, my dad's a hereditary chief i'll in, inherit his chieftainship at some point in the future um and uh on the we had a family potlatch in 2014 and we were sitting down with all of the the chiefs i was sort of there learning you know from him and from the other chiefs mm-hmm. and they were uh you know one of the chiefs said over over breakfast as we were looking out onto the actual bay of alert bay from a house up on the hill oh bobby such a beautiful day for uh, potlatch look at how rough it is out there the weather was it was blowing really hard it wasn't raining but it, there were big white caps on the uh on the ocean. It's such a beautiful day to have a potlatch. There's no way the Indian agent could get here today. So it was pretty cool just to see the reference, even in even in the family potlatch and stuff.
1: Mm. You know those, those,
0: uh, those moments. Because that's what they would do. They would take you know potlatching underground and wait for right. wait for really good winter storms and do the business. And <clears throat> that way, you know, because in those days you couldn't. The only way to get around was by boat. And, Maybe later on in a float plane, but
1: so so it really was about going underground i when i you know you know bob when i read some of these quotes when i look at some you know the you know if you if you go back and you look at something like the doctrine of discovery and 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 you go way back you know several hundred years and 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 even some and the 21 things that you focused on about it's about land and it's about language and culture and and, and identity and women
0: mm-hmm. and, and that,
1: i, I mean i want to talk about, about that, that but <clears> i <throat> but here's this quote from Uh, Duncan Campbell Scott. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I want to get rid of the Indian problem. Quote, our objective is to continue until there is not an Indian that has not been absorbed into the body politic. Mm -hmm. And there is no Indian question and no Indian department. You read that. Mm -hmm. And you just I I just I kind of I want to step back. And I said, is I mean, am am I reading fiction here? Mm -hmm. It is a uh, it is a no holds barred process. (laughs) they're they're not even
0: even you know and you've probably done other media research on it on residential schools they knew the kids were dying off and and high numbers because they were putting them into cramped quarters and they didn't have immunity to diseases but they, you know there's you know there's lots of quotes from the residential school stuff that yeah that, that's happening but that doesn't mean we should stop what we're doing yeah you know? right. uh, yeah so it's a, it's a pretty um pretty uh, crazy time in canadian history and it's just sort of you know, I guess it's flying under the radar for Canadians, and that's why I think Twenty One Things was such a—you know—sort of captured the imagination really quickly. A lot of people just didn't know, and it started to get—you know—shared and shared and shared, and I was like, wow, this is uh, this is really uh, hit hit a hit a nerve for people. You know, just some uh, aha moments.
1: Well, it seems to me too that you have a really interesting insight into this doing these these corporate uh and enviro- you know coming coming alongside as you say fortune 500 cook uh, companies and, and and different levels of government and so on to do these workshops so you have a really interesting insight mm-hmm. um and of course just i guess suppose hanging out with regular canadians but what 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 do you think it is that um, canadians are most often missing when it comes to understanding the Aboriginal, I guess uh, history, and uh, uh, can you say Aboriginal problem or the, yeah, the yeah. issues that most Aboriginals face? You know, can, how, how how do how do we get to a place where you know I can kind of step into your shoes a little more?
0: Yeah, you know, uh, it does. It's you know, just for just for people, and that's part of the work of reconciliation to take a look back and try to see some of the things that that we're we're happening as part of this old uh, legislative post confederation assimilation policy and and really just sort of uh, to get a feel for that right like what we were what we were trying to accomplish and the big problem you know it, it's funny if we were just to try to let people sit back at 70,000 feet and say what what does this look like a lot of people were coming to canada to get away from persecution for the land of economic opportunity. There's, you know, a few big reasons why sure. people were coming here, but it, it's ironic that they would get here and do the exact same things that they were trying to get away from, from the people that were already here. And, you know, so th- I think that's kind of an aha moment when we're we're working with people. We want <clears throat> to, you know, we want a place where we can think freely, but we're not going to let them think freely. We're going to indoctrinate them and right. put them to schools. And, and so I think that, that uh, is part of it. And, you know, I I talk about the soul searching that Canada really is doing right now on Indigenous peoples and Indigenous issues. And, you know, we started off really with what I call the melting pot. And I think others have referred to it that way. You know, we're really a a melting pot. All of these different cultures are going to come here from all over the world. And they're gonna to come together, and they're gonna we're gonna put them into a big pot, and we're gonna turn up the heat, and we're gonna stir it up, and it's gonna be this gray goopy thing, and that's what will make us Canadians. And right. So that was the philosophy, I think, in the heyday of assimilation. But the reality, and certainly since we patriated the Constitution in 1982, is that we're actually not a melting pot society. We are, you know, I'm always joking around about it. We're a cultural fruitcake. We got all kinds of things, you know, and it's and it's not a bad place to be. And so I think Canadians are are sort of uh, soul searching. And, I you know, I'd like to hope that they they don't believe that we are a a melting pot, that we're more of a mosaic. And but where they're really challenged, and this is, you know, where we get a chance to spend time talking to people is around equality. They, They struggle with equality. Well, I don't mind as long as they're just like everybody else and but the problem with the equality is that it means we have to give up things you have to give up culture you have to give up language you know do all kinds of stuff like that which is back to the assimilation policies whenever we <clears throat> hear people say oh they should be equal why do we have to treat them differently than we treat anybody else and and that that's a big challenge and fundamentally and you you'd know from your international work Uh, aboriginal rights or human rights issues and if we compared all of those immigrant cultures maybe in the whole history of the country that Italian person coming from Italy knew that when they came to Canada Mm. they would sign the contract accept the responsibilities become a Canadian citizen might have to give up a little bit but it was a real choice and they didn't have to worry though about the Italian language culture land base, religion political institutions those things would all be in existence somewhere else in the world and that's the difference between the average Canadian, the immigrant Canadian, and Indigenous people who didn't really come here from anywhere, is that you're you're Niska in the Nass Valley, or it doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. And so we've, as a country, we've at least said we should we should make a space for this. If we're if we believe in human rights, we should allow these people to continue to be who they are where they are for as long as that's possible gets back to the star trek franchise again the prime directive we shall not interfere but we you know obviously that wasn't our history so i I hope that answers the the question that you're asking no it's re
1: it's really helpful and i think one of the one of the things we do or at least i often hear is we try to we try to equate this problem with that problem Mm -hmm. Does, does that make sense? And yeah. say, well, you know, this is how they dealt with it here, or this is how mm-hmm. they dealt with it there. But hang on a minute, here we're talking about a different context. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a 500-year history here. We're talking about, and I, I think there's just this massive oversimplification. And I go back to mm-hmm. that idea of that that understatement. If mm-hmm. if this really is this colonial sort of relic, which I certainly believe it is, this paternalism and the oppression and so on. Mm-hmm. I mean, this we're we're talking about deep. Um, deep and, and 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 subtle implications oh, okay. that, that d- does that make sense yeah they are
0: hard-hitting it is we we really try to look for simple connections but it is a it's like a super tangled web but once you once you start to look at the indian act you can start to go oh i can i can actually follow some of these strands to the force right I know you wanted to talk about women I, I'm,
1: women yeah the I, second the second one that you bring up in the book denied women status from yeah. 1869 yeah. to 1985 oh. how crazy is that
0: <laughs> yeah you know so lots of women lost
1: status they married
0: non-indian men and and if you lost status that meant you had to leave the reserve reserves are set aside for the use and benefit of of status indians not non-status indians in the heyday of assimilation so just for the listeners, we just have to understand that Canada has abandoned forced cultural assimilation at this point. And uh, but during the heyday, if uh, you were an Indian woman, you married a non-Indian, maybe an Irish guy or Italian guy, you know, whichever, whichever uh, culture that you come from, uh, she would lose her status, so the children. It meant that she had to leave the reserve and go be like everybody else. And. Uh, and they would come back and visit. And uh, you know, I was, I did some work up in uh, Teltan territory. I was working with the Lady Elder, Alice Hamlin. And she, she was sh- sharing stories about how their women would marry uh, non-Indian men. And uh, the Indian agent would make sure that they went home at night. You don't have to go home, Cindy, but you can't stay here. That was their, you know, mm-hmm. they would go to the reserve just to visit their Teltan relatives. And, and so, you know just kind of this uh, this uh, weird policy and that that would be you know it would actually work counter to what they were trying to do we're trying to assimilate them but as soon as we we do we tell them they can't have anything to do with what they want to be a part of and you know so it would just work counter to uh, the policy and in the same period um status indian men who married non you know non-indian women those women who would gain their status it really didn't matter which culture they came from where in the world, as long as he was a status Indian, you could become a status Indian, and so would the children. And through that intermarriage, they'd reach a point at which they'd be considered no longer Indians under the meaning of the Indian Act. And Mm. and so that, you know, um, obviously Indian women, uh, as soon as we patriate the Constitution, we bring home the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in 1982, their first task was to launch a human rights complaint against the Canadian government. Hey, you guys treat us differently than the man. This isn't right with what you said we're going to do as a country, and you need to uh, to work on this. So there's an amendment in 1985. Bill C-31 basically says that Indian women, that marry non-Indian men don't lose their status. Their children gain it. It works the same for the men. And, uh, you know, uh, I think Stats Canada predicts that by 2052, there will be no longer any status Indians. And it's not necessarily a bad thing because when we listen to what the communities are saying, they're saying things like, uh, we don't want anybody in Ottawa telling us who our people are but we can do it ourselves, <laughs> right. right so they're they're talking about self-determination. so it's not necessarily right, like a bad self-
1: thing. And, and that's and that and that's kind of how you that's kind of how you conclude the book to some degree, isn't it? I mean, it's not a conclusion in a sense, because Mm -hmm. this is so not, I mean, so many loose ends and that's almost disrespectful, even, you know, analogously to say they're just loose ends, but, but you talk about this self-determination, this, this self-empowerment, this Mm -hmm. this self-regulation as as it were. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that is the the future. It'll it'll make it a much better
0: country. Um, You know, it'll be living up to the, High ideals in our constitution, particularly uh, Section 35 of the Constitution Act, it'll make us more prosperous as a, as a country. Mm. Like there's just so many benefits to moving away from the Indian Act and and dismantling it, which the current federal government has agreed to do. They're working with uh, First Nations. The federal Liberals are, you know, traveling across the country gathering information to write a bill that would see the door really open to um, self-determination, self-government, and self-reliant—the three big selves that uh, Indigenous peoples are looking for, especially Indians. Getting
1: into but, but Bob, in the in the book, you talk about the costs of maintaining the mandates of the <clears throat> of the Act, and, mm-hmm. and then you know versus the cost of dis- dismantling it, and, mm-hmm. and 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 later and later on. You, you you say that even though that the assimilation and the policies the policies have, have sort of been abandoned the effects and the challenges are still ongoing and i mean i think yeah, we yeah. all sort of know that and i would like to think most people we would bump into on the street if we asked them that question they would say yes 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 mm-hmm. um where where do you see that heading so i mean reconciliation you know richard rogamy has, has said mm-hmm. stories are meant to heal <laughs> and and you know how how much um, hmm. How many more times do we need to continue to tell this story and in new ways? Uh, how many more workshops do you need to do? <laughs> you know, how many more? How many? How many more books do I need to write? My kids are mm-hmm. ten and twelve. They're going to be in a different place mm-hmm. with respect to, I think, uh, our our relationship to, to to history with our Canadians, Aboriginal peoples, than mm-hmm. than than I was. You know, yeah. at at my age and so on. And I don't know. I guess I guess I'm asking a lot of questions in there. But you know, can we? Can you know? And and you start out in your introduction by being so hopeful you know mm-hmm. you talk about the is it the Quala word where where it means to rise again yeah, you know? yeah. and you and, and and you clearly want to change the world one person at a time you even say it and i so love that about you and we've never met so <laughs> um so i guess what i'm getting to is kind of what is next is it is it more of the same is it more intention? do we need more money put towards this do we yeah. need more focus uh, you know uh, do we do we need more films made and anyway there you go
0: yeah i know i love it you know what um, i think canadians can can uh, certainly pick up and do their own journeys on um, on the history and reconciliation certainly listening to the great work that you're doing on the podcast face to face and um, and that you know, I think the big difference. So I've been doing this work now since nineteen ninety four and I can see it. I mean, when I first started talking about residential schools in nineteen ninety four, I'm about one or two presentations in for a big corporation I was working for. Um, and a lady came up to me on the break, she had tears streaming down her face, she was really upset and I said, What what's wrong? And she said, Well, I can't, I can't believe what you're telling me. I I really can't believe my church would be involved in this and and so wow. it was sort of a, you know, it was like a good moment. I thought, okay, they really don't know about this. They they just, you know, it's it's unbelievable is what, you know, what she was saying. And so since that time, you know, we are we are so far beyond that day, even today in the time that I've been doing this work. You know, you look at the uh, Ottawa Red Blacks. They've invited the local chief to come and do a welcome to our territory. And, uh, you know, and certainly in uh, Winnipeg, you know, they – they do it in front of all of their professional hockey games and you know local governments across the country are doing it i you know i can see the change it's it's not happening fast enough for some people and it's too slow for others but you know just right. I, and, and i know your show is about moving the needle i think we've moved the needle and, and what's really going to move it especially for your kids is that the uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission traveled across the country. Its job was to gather stories and create a more common understanding for Canadians about residential school experience for the average Canadian. And a lot of their recommendations were, you know, better education K through 12 and college and university and calling on governments and companies to, to all get engaged and so. There, I think there's going to be a really, you know, if we can continue that work, that your kids will just see a completely different country, give it five or 10 years. Now, the part, obviously, you guys just had an election, and I know uh, your new premier just, uh, you know, canceled, uh, canceled the reconciliation and the curriculum stuff. So that's a little bit of a step back. that not everybody's doing that. There's lots of people that are plowing down the road full steam. Lots of great Canadians who are and just average Canadians. I get people calling me from book clubs. Hey, we just did a book club thing with you. And, you know, it's just so oh, awesome. Nice. awesome yeah. to hear. <laughs> <And you laughs> yeah, got, that's where it's
1: going to happen. Well it, it, you know what it I'm so glad I'm getting goosebumps I honestly I'm so glad to hear that because I think you're right it it really is in the the uh, I mean I don't I I don't think the metaphor of the world coming together to save 13 lives in Thailand right now in the cave rescue and so on should go unnoticed there are some Sort of paradoxical contradictions to that, I think, with regard to what else is happening in the world. However, I think it has been quite, kind of wonderful that 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 we can come around this, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, if we really want to, you yeah, know, then... if we have the intention, if the goodwill is there, and so on, and the political will and the mm-hmm. the resources. It's it's. We, but we just we, we need the. I don't know what it is. Do we need the yeah. focus? Do we need to ma- <laughs> you know make better choices, et cetera? But I so am. I'm so encouraged and thrilled to to think to hear you say that you think you know, what's necessary is of course the big the higher higher level stuff's important but mm-hmm. changing the world one person at a time is is so essential I love too that in one of your appendixes at the end of the book and you've got um you know appropriately 21 things you can do to help change the world it's mm-hmm. just it's you know attend attend an indigenous film festival attend a powwow mm-hmm. read books by indigenous authors I mean you know it's just it's really wonderful that you've made it also so so readable but also really tangible I mean Bob, I mean, but, but, uh, to, to, was it Tommy Douglas who referred to this as, as an apartheid? I mean, I, we can't, again, I'm, I'm coming back to this. We just, it seems like we've got to have some pretty serious conversations still, uh, it seems to me. Uh, yeah, well, you know, as long as the Indian Act exists, it's, uh, you know,
0: I, I, you know, a good analogy would be, you know, how those, uh, those big, uh, out in the high seas of those, those big, uh, you know, indiscriminate net drift net fishers that, you know, they, people run over nets and there's big chunks of net floating around. And even though they're not attached to a boat or anybody fishing, those nets are still killing fish. And, and that that's right. sort of the analogy with uh, the Indian Act. If we think about the Indian Act, as long as it's still there, it was designed for a purpose and it is really hard to repurpose it. You know what I mean? Like you can't, right. you can't use it to hang glass balls for ornaments. And it's just not, <laughs> right. it's, it's just not, right. you know, it's just not, it's just, it's just got to go. And uh, but while it, while mm. it's there, we still have a government of Canada that's trying to figure out what to do with it. But you know, we think about uh, you know just on on women and certainly missing and murdered Indigenous women. A lot of that, you know, we simplified. Oh, that's just a choice that they made and that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, for me, I look back to the Indian Act. No, this is happening, you know, at a federal level. Um, the feds went through a big 10 year round of cutbacks, government cutbacks um, and, you know, the finance minister in Ontario or, or Canada, you know, would say, uh, uh, you know, the media people like yourself, maybe would say, Hey, is there any new money for Indians in the next federal? No, there's no new money for Indians in the next federal budget. And you can actually go back and take a look over a period of uh, 10 years from one census to another. And you can see it when it started out, of Indigenous people were still living on reserves. Band members, 48% on average across the country. And by the time that those uh, 10 years had gone back, and it was a government that was focused on fiscal responsibility, and you know we're going to do more with less. That was the mantra. So they were slashing and burning. Not just Indian Affairs. To be fair, they were slashing and burning a lot of uh, federal agencies. But in that round of cutbacks alone, we saw that number go from 48% to 40%. We saw an exodus, 8% exodus in a very short period of time. And that's people leaving the reserve because there's no new money for housing. There's no new money to fix the clean drinking water problems that they have and that kind of stuff. And and actually, it was an Ontario Premier, uh, former Premier Dalton McGuinty, came out during the Kasechwan water crisis and he said, you know, we're a good province, we've got good people, we're going to we're gonna help the Kasechwan out in their time of need. By the same token, we do not want other governments offloading their responsibilities onto us. Because when we set up the Indian Act, the Indian Act uh, would be administered by the federal government, it would be their responsibility. They actually have a legal obligation to do it. And, and what McGinty was saying was, and because you're you're not funding this adequately, we're, you know, it's becoming an, an Ontario problem. Now we're going to see more homelessness, more crime, more, you know, just the connection. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say I can always look back to, you know, how does this trail back to the India Act and, you know, sort of connect the dots backwards. And so I think that, you know, that's why I think it really needs to be dismantled and that people need to to uh, just move away from that. And I'd like to say the government of Canada is certainly committed to, uh, to doing that.
1: I sure look, I look forward to the day that there might actually be some sort of, you know, presentation where <clears> there <throat> is a burning of the actual, you know, a ceremonial burning of the act, you wow. know? I mean, <laughs> is that, you know. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be interesting? If I can't you know? twinned, I'll definitely uh, let you know. <laughs> <laughs> please, please do, because I'd like, I'd like to get some, some feedback on that. And I, mm-hmm, I'm sure mm-hmm. it would be caught, would be caught on film. I just want to, I want to highlight, sadly, Bob, I'm so enjoyed chatting with you today. We're going to have to wrap up in a couple minutes here, but I, I wanted to just highlight for, for the listener and get your, your input uh, feedback on this as well. Just before I, I want to kind of quote your father too, I think to, mm-hmm. to kind of wrap us up. But anyway, in, 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 in um, the seventh uh, of the 21 things that you highlight in the act, mm-hmm. it's cre- created a permit system to control the Indians' ability to sell products from farms, and this mm-hmm. was in place from 1881 to 2014, mm-hmm. and so in, in, in here you say that Um, agriculture quote was one objective chosen as the path for indians to follow to become as you put in in italics or in quotes uh, civilized Mm -hmm. but many reserves were located in areas that were unsuitable for agriculture i mean that's just unbelievable to begin with and then government agencies later used the low success rate of some indian farmers as reason to reduce the size of reserves Mm -hmm. close quote so i mean i i wanted to call this chapter agriculture and absurdity Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. i i just i just I I can't talk, I mean, talk about, talk about a big fat mass. (laughs) It's just, it's, it's, it's almost, it's almost comical in its its absurdity. Back to the,
0: uh, the unbelievable. And, you know, some days when I'm teaching my, uh, I do public workshops and on-site training for employers, you know, I'll often break out the uh, the matrix, remember that scene in the matrix and he's talking to Morpheus and just before he agrees that there is a matrix, Morpheus is saying take the red pill and everything stays the <laughs> same and take the blue That's pill crushing. and i'll show you how deep this rabbit hole really goes and it's totally it's totally like that a lot of people you know they're just like i say and i think that was the shocker of 21 things you may not know about the indian act people just Wow, I didn't, I didn't know that they couldn't sell stuff. You know, and and back to, you know, some of the stereotypes, all they're lazy, why don't they just, you know, do something? Well, we actually, Canada believed if they were selling stuff off reserves, that would take away the motivational leave. So we're not going to let them sell, you know, so it's all part of that assimilation policy piece again.
1: Yes, and I think somebody, I'm not sure who it was, but it might even have been you. I'm sure you've used it, but somebody in the book you referred to as referring to it, the Indian Act, as villainous. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that is a really. Uh, helpful sort of, sort of distinction to make. Mm. I love that you're so positive, Bob. I'm, I'm sure, you know, you, you, you have reasons, many, many reasons not to be positive, but, <laughs> but clearly you are a man of hope and, and I think in a man of change and that's remarkable, but it sounded like you, you kind of maybe picked that up from, from your father. And, and I, and I wish I could remember the quote and I've been flipping back through the book, trying to find it. And I apologize, but I remember you, co- I think you quote him and, and he said something about we, we start to day. Mm -hmm. And, and it's really struck, stuck with me like that. I mean, that's just a beautiful uh, uh, logline for a campaign. We yeah. start today. I can't. I've taken the blue pill. I can't go back. And <laughs> you've been eight or nine weeks. On, you've been eight or nine weeks on the bestseller list now. That 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 means to me. There's a whole lot of other people out there. I hope who've taken the blue pill. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I just I want to I just want to celebrate what your father said. And, and and any any sort of insights on that? You know, from your, from your upbringing or, or or commentary on that that quote. Yeah. Uh, that comment.
0: Well, not not really. Other than you know, he is the uh, the source of a lot of. Uh, Information and how to think about things. You know, I think that that that's uh, that's been the uh, the great thing of working. He, you know, he was uh, when it comes to reconciliation. We've been hearing a lot of conversation. You know, it's not happening fast enough. And 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 uh, you know, he he actually does like peace mission work. He's off in other countries mm. like yourself and working with religious organizations. So they went to the Middle East, and he said it was. Uh, It was just the the worst thing that he could see because it didn't matter that you know visited these guys and those guys and their their relationship has been vitriolic for millennia right and uh he just said you know they if they didn't know you you know he said he had people spit on him you know because they thought he he was representing the other side and you know and he just said we're not letting our kids do that you know we're not Putting our kids or anybody's kids through that whole process, we got to. It starts today. We're gonna we're doubling down (laughs) on uh, reconciliation. So it'd be so easy to let the haters hate and you know lead us down a road, but it's so you know just looking at that experience, you know, just thousands of years of you know not no peace. And really, I think that's what people want. And the big reason for why they came to Canada, I believe, is to to find some peace that way.
1: Well, I love uh, I love that you've got a whole I think a whole chapter about looking forward, and you start the book with that. You kind of end the book with that. To me, it's a, this continuous thread throughout, and, and in the midst of all this, you know, villainous tragedy, if I can use the phrase, um, mm-hmm. there, you know, to uh, there, there is hope. Mm-hmm. and there is change and 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 people are having conversations and people i hope are taking the blue pill <laughs> everywhere and and will continue to ask better questions and 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 pick up on on the 21 things we can do as well at at the end of your book um bob thanks so much for your time today and 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 uh really appreciate it. i'm looking forward to to a, a follow-up conversation with you for those of you who want to find out more information you um is it um indigenous corporate training if you if you search that online it's ictinc.ca you can find out more about bob and his and and what he does there and Um, Yeah, we've been talking with Bob Joseph today, 21 Things You May Not Know About the Indian Act, Helping Canadians Make Reconciliation with Indigenous Peoples a Reality. Bob, it's been such a pleasure having you on Face to Face with me today. My pleasure. Thank you.